This morning we get to continue our expositional series on the Gospel of Mark. Now I'd invite you to open your Bibles up this morning to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find Mark chapter 5 on page 840 in the Bibles in front of you. We'll be reading this morning, starting in verse 21, reading through verse 43. Let's continue to worship this morning as we hear God's word read and as we hear it preached. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talpha, kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come rejoicing this morning 
We come rejoicing in your Son. We sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and glory. We say with the Apostle Paul that unsearchable riches are found in the person of your Son. In Him is hidden wisdom and glory and honor and knowledge. We exalt in in the Lord Jesus. We cry out in our hearts, who is like Him? Who shows mercy and grace to the helpless? And Father, we rejoice in the freeness of the gospel this morning. Whoever looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. So Father, we ask this morning, you do this great work, that you would lift up your Son and that you would show us once again His His glory. That you would unveil His character to us, His, His perfect character, His mercy, His grace, His power, His might, His love, all of His perfections. We ask that you would open up our eyes to behold him. And you would give us hearts that could love him. Father, we pray that you would do a converting work this morning. Oh, that you would open eyes for the first time to see the glory and the beauty of your son. That as Christ is lifted up, people would come and they would cast themselves upon him. For Jesus has promised himself to sinners. Oh, Father, we pray that you would persevere us in faith today, that by beholding the Son of God, our faith would be strengthened and encouraged, and we would live. And so, Father, we ask for your help this morning. Would you pour out your Spirit upon me? Would you pour out your Spirit on your people? And do the supernatural work, we ask. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So quite literally in the middle of our text this morning, we hear these, these statements. And, and these statements are really the center of what these stories are about. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And Jesus speaks to Jairus. He says, do not fear, only believe. This should be no surprise to us as we have been studying the gospel of Mark. This issue of faith rises up again and again and again in the gospel of Mark. Faith stands as a prominent theme within this story that Mark is telling us about Jesus and his glorious kingdom. Faith is the action that Jesus demands in his preaching. We can go back to chapter 1 and remember how the gospel of Mark started. Jesus went into Galilee and he started preaching, repent, And believe in the gospel. And then we heard the parable of the sower. No one is exempt from this demand, but Jesus goes about as a sower, liberally sowing this word of the gospel wherever he goes. He sows among the great crowds, he sows among men and women and children, he sows among the rich and also the poor. The seed is scattered everywhere. And truly, this action of faith is best described as a demand. According to Jesus, faith is not simply a matter of consent or a vote that you might cast in an election. Jesus does not call for a popular or casual following. But this faith that Jesus calls for is a wholehearted devotion in the face of suffering, in life, and in death. 
Jesus calls out in his preaching and he further defines faith. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As we keep working through the Gospel of Mark, we see that this demanding path of faith is the only way. It's the only way to taste the saving reign of God. It was not the scribes who knew their Bibles frontwards and backwards who were trained in the Scriptures who tasted the reign of God. It was not Herod who held power over the land of Israel who tasted the reign of God. The kingdom of God cannot be comprehended by intelligence. It cannot be obtained with wealth. It cannot be seized through power. The kingdom of God, in all its glories, can only be experienced through the instrument of faith. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And faith reorients our vision. Faith pushes us past the absolutism of our five senses. Faith calls us to look at this world and our our present circumstances in light of the power and the might of God. Jesus preaches to his disciples, all things are possible for the one who believes, for the one who practices faith. And this is where the Gospel of Mark addresses us. Every story we read about Jesus, every word that comes from Jesus' mouth, is to be met with the response of faith. We cannot engage the gospel of Mark as a neutral observer. We cannot engage the gospel of Mark this morning as a, as a cool literary critic. But just as Jesus called to the crowds in Galilee, he makes his demanding call to us through the pages of Mark as we encounter it in the preaching of the word. Jesus comes to us this morning and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is how you appropriate the gospel of Mark. When Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus desires that faith would consume our whole lives. He desires that we would taste the goodness of his Father's kingdom. He desires that our vision would be radically reoriented towards a thoroughgoing vision of God and his might and his glory. But it is exactly here in this crucial matter of faith, this matter so necessary, that we see Jesus' disciples stumble and fall again and again in the Gospel of Mark. While Jesus teaches about faith, while Jesus demands faith, while Jesus explains faith, the faith of the disciples is far from perfect in the Gospel of Mark. Their faith waxes and wanes. Their faith grows. It also decreases. In the face of the surging waves and the howling winds, these men despair for their lives, and Jesus exhorts them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? These men, they heard Jesus' preaching, they walked with Jesus, they saw Jesus' mighty deeds, yet they still struggled with faith. And it is here that I think we stand with the disciples. We must confess this morning, we're not a people of, of perfect faith. Like Jesus' disciples, when we're out on the sea and we see the the winds and and the waves and they're beating against the boat, we, we begin to cry out with the disciples in the Gospel of Mark, do you not care that we are perishing, teacher? And so often our faith waxes and wanes. It increases and decreases because of our present circumstances. And the longer you are a Christian, the more you are aware of the fickleness There's this fickleness that resides in our our hearts. 
One moment in the heat of, of passion, we're on the mountaintop of faith. We boast with Peter, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But in the next moment, when questioned by a little servant girl, standing, warming ourselves by a fire, our hearts melt into, our, into a puddle and our strength is gone. I do not know this man of whom you, you speak. This is our life that we live. If we critically assess our hearts, we're much like the character Little Faith found in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. While on our journey to the celestial city, making our way, traveling on the narrow way, we're overcome, beaten, and plundered by various thieves. Mistrust and guilt come and they bang us over the head and we're left on the side of the road bleeding and confused. But there's good news in the Gospel of Mark and the good news is not ourselves. But the good news is a Savior, a Savior who deals patiently with a people of little faith. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus did not leave his disciples to their own resources. The disciples in the Gospel of Mark have been beaten over the head, knocked out, left on the side of the road, bleeding. But time and time again, Jesus came to them in their moment of need, overcoming their their fears, comforting them in their doubts, and rescuing them from all of their peril. Christ Jesus encouraged his disciples these men of little faith saying this, have faith in God. And this word rings true today. Christ Jesus has not left his church. He's not left you. He's not left us to our own resources. He's yet near to us in our moment of need, overcoming our fears, comforting us in our doubts, and rescuing us from all of our perils. We're on the side of the road, we've been beaten with a club, but Jesus draws near to us and he encourages us in our little faith saying, have faith in God. In fact, this is the very reason that Mark has placed chapter 5 verses 21 through 43 before us. This word has been written for a people of little faith like you and like me, a people who who struggle with doubt, a people who struggle with, with fears. And through these stories that Mark places before us, he seeks to instruct us so that we might know the nature of true faith and that we might be encouraged to keep faith. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Do not fear, only believe. And Mark instructs us and encourages us by bringing before us three aspects of faith this morning. We'll work through them piece by piece. We'll start with the practitioners of faith, then we'll move to the object of faith, then lastly we'll look at the, the power of faith. So before we dive into Mark's instruction and encouragement this morning, we must make a comment first about the structure of this passage, what we're looking at this morning. And at first glance, our text seems a bit confusing how Mark has structured it. Mark begins by telling one story. We meet this man, Jairus, who comes to Jesus and he implores Jesus to come with him to heal his daughter. And just as Jesus begins going with Jairus to his house, the story is interrupted by another story. A woman comes and grabs hold of Jesus and finds healing. But just as soon as we meet this woman, we're thrust back into the the Jairus story once again. While this sandwiching effect seems a bit disorientating at first, moving from one story to another, then back to the first one again, Mark does this for good reason. Mark desires that we would read these two stories together. 
In fact, Mark is teaching we cannot understand these two stories without each other. The one story interprets the other. The one story sheds light on the other and vice versa. And after our first glance at this passage, the similarities between these two stories, between Jairus and the unnamed woman with the flow of blood, begin to stand out. These stories are deeply and integrally related. Both the females that stand in need are called daughter. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old, and the woman whom Jesus called daughter suffered from a bloody discharge for 12 years. Both supplicants of Jesus, Jairus and the unnamed woman, find themselves at the feet of Jesus, lying prostrate before him. Both stories involve the matters of defilement and uncleanliness from the standard of the Old Testament law. The little girl is rendered unclean because she is dead, and the woman has a flow of blood and is thus unclean. And most importantly, both stories hinge upon the matter of faith. The woman is commended for her faith. Daughter, your faith has saved you. And Jairus, this man, is, is encouraged in faith. Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And so what we have before us are two stories that must be held together and complement each other as they instruct us and encourage us in this matter of faith that's so important in the Gospel of Mark. So this brings us to our first aspect of instruction and encouragement in faith. Looking at the practitioners of faith. In verse 22, we meet our first practitioner of faith. Mark records, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. This man had risen above the reputation of his neighbors. While Jairus wasn't a trained scribe, he didn't go to seminary and learn the scriptures that way. He was a prestigious layman charged with taking care of the synagogue and even ordering the services held in the synagogue. So this layman Jairus held power and prestige within his community. He would have been a man that you would have looked up to. In verse 25, we meet the second practitioner of faith. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And the contrast between Jairus and this woman we meet in verse 25 could not be any greater. While Jairus was well thought of in the community, while he was respected and looked up, the second practitioner of faith is a woman, and even more, she was likely an outcast. While Jairus enjoyed the pleasure of a family, we know that Jairus had a daughter and likely a, a fairly big household. This woman was likely never married nor had any children to comfort her. She was richly unclean for, for 12 years. While Jairus was likely a man of means, this woman was impoverished. She did not have a penny to her name. While Jairus enjoyed corporate worship with the people of God, this woman was barred from attendance due to her uncleanness as specified in Leviticus chapter 15. And while Jairus' name was remembered and written down, this woman's name was never recorded for us. We hear her story, but we do not know her name. And though the differences between these two characters stack up, while we can point to the issues of family or wealth or standing in society, these stories hold one great thing in common. Both of these practitioners of faith have one great need, and it's Jesus. And Jairus' need is revealed to us in verse 23. 
Mark records. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. At this point, Jarius is in desperate circumstances. He has nowhere else to turn. Without the advent of modern medicine, he can't just rush his daughter off to the ER. There's no specialized treatment that he can find for his little girl. He's simply out of options. So Jarius can only make appeal to this man who's been traveling about Galilee, preaching the good news, and who's been healing people. So Jarius is driven to Jesus by his desperate need. And we see it in verse 23. My little daughter is at the point of death. The unnamed woman's need is equally desperate. In verses 25 through 28, in this one long sentence, Mark in dramatic style strings together depressing description after depressing description. As we read verses 25 through 28, it's like Mark is pressing weights upon our shoulders, weighing us down with the circumstances of this woman. Mark does this so that we would feel the impossibility of her situation, the great trouble that she's in. This woman had a flow of blood for for 12 years. For 12 years, this woman has been kept from public worship. For 12 years, she was ostracized from her community. And she had suffered much under many physicians. She had tried all the doctors in town. She sought out treatment after treatment. But these physicians who were supposedly dedicated to the task of healing and help only caused her to suffer more. And she had spent all that she had. She tried doctor after doctor, treatment after treatment in her desperation, seeking any type of relief from her condition, but she found no help. This flow of blood was draining out her life and draining her pocketbooks. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. And like Jairus, in her desperate condition, without anywhere else to turn, she made her way to Jesus, this man traveling about Galilee who's preaching the gospel and who's healing people. And this unnamed woman was driven by her need to find Jesus. So Mark has set before us these two practitioners of faith, Jairus and this unnamed woman. And we can ask Mark, well, how are you instructing us through these two characters? How are you encouraging us through these two characters. And Mark gives us instruction, first of all. We have to notice that, that faith cannot be determined by class or gender or societal value. Though Jairus and the unnamed woman are about as far as you can get in, in terms of societal worth and societal standing, they both practice faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They both find themselves at the feet of Jesus, and they both find their needs met by Jesus. And what a glorious reality this is that Mark is instructing us in. We are not pushed outside the realm of God's mercy because of the family we've been born in or the part of town that we might inhabit or the job that we might happen to have. Jesus' salvation is equally accessible to Jairus, this man of good standing in his community, this man of power, as it is to an unnamed woman, a woman whose name we do not even know. And second, Mark continues to encourage and instruct us. He teaches faith only makes sense in the context of need. Both practitioners in this story were driven, were controlled by their need. Jairus rushed to Jesus. Why? 
Well, he had a sick daughter, and if he didn't have a sick daughter, he likely would have never sought out Jesus. This woman we meet, this unnamed woman, sought out Jesus because her blood was continually before her, reminding her of her unclean state. And these practitioners of faith could not escape their circumstances. They could not ignore their their plight. Their need was driving them. And the lesson is clear. We will only practice faith if we are intimately aware of our great need. Even more, faith is sustained day by day out of a knowledge of our neediness. If you want to grow in faith, you need to grow in the knowledge of your own need. If you want to grow up in faith, you need to grow down in the knowledge of your own sin. And often we get discouraged in the Christian life because we think wrongly about faith. We reason in our minds, well, I've been a Christian for this many years, and you can put your number there, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. I've been a Christian for this many years. Surely by now I shouldn't have so many needs. Surely by now I should have moved past this point of desperation in my life. Surely by now I should have leveled up to this plane of maturity where I'm not operating like Jairus who finds himself at the feet of Jesus. Surely by now I should be different from this woman who had the flow of blood. But this logic completely misses the point of faith. In fact, if we ever get to the point in which we no longer see our own needs, if we ever get to the point in which we no longer see our our sins or the remaining corruptions in our own hearts, if we get to the point we no longer cry out in desperation like, like Jarius or hunt after Jesus like this unnamed woman, We have not progressed in our faith. We've not leveled up in our faith. But rather we've regressed in our faith. And quite possibly we have have stopped practicing biblical faith. Jesus is not the savior of the self-sufficient person. Rather Jesus preaches to us. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner." Jesus is a savior of needy people. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. We grow up in faith by going down in knowledge of our own neediness. Joseph Hart's old hymn instructs us on the requirements of faith, what it means to be a practitioner of faith. He says this, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dreamed. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. That's what it means to be a practitioner of faith, a person who feels their desperate need of Jesus. We can move to our, our, second, our second point, the object of faith. While neediness is an indispensable reality for the working of biblical faith, for Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, need is not the end of biblical faith. Rather, need drives the practitioner of faith towards a certain object. Faith is always a directed activity towards a specific end. Notably, both characters in our story are driven by need towards a certain object, towards a certain person. Jairus, this well-respected man, falls humbly at the feet of Jesus, and he begs Jesus to come with him. This unnamed woman that we meet, this outcast from society, stalks Jesus through the crowd until an opportune time when she can lay hold of his garments. 
Both characters are directed in faith towards Jesus. Both characters lay hold of Jesus. But both of these characters do not simply come to Jesus. They come in faith to Jesus. Meaning that they come persuaded in Jesus' ability to save them. They come knowing that this object of faith is worthy. Even more, they come knowing that this object of faith is competent and able to save them in their needs. Note how Jairus speaks to Jesus in verse 23. He says, My little daughter is at the point of death. So Jairus has need. He has real, desperate need. But then he goes on to say this, Come and lay your hand on her, so that she may be made well and live. There is no hesitation in Jairus' speech in verse 23. He doesn't say, Jesus, come and lay your hand on her, and perhaps, perhaps she might live. He doesn't say to Jesus, come, come, Jesus, lay your hand on her, and there's a good chance, there's a good probability that something good might happen to my daughter. No, Jairus has come to the conclusion that if this Jesus before him comes to his daughter, and this Jesus before him places his hand on his daughter, that daughter will be made well. She will be saved. He is utterly convinced of Jesus' power and ability to save. And the same persuasion lies in the heart of this unnamed woman. And Mark gives us insight into her thinking. Verses 27 and 28. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Again, like Jairus, there is no hesitation found in this woman. If I touch his garments, perhaps I will be made well. If I touch his garments, there's a good chance I will be made well. No, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Her mind is not filled with questions. Her, her soul is not divided about Jesus. Rather, she has heard of Jesus, how he healed all who came to him, how he had mercy on the sick, how he overcame even demons, and she reasons powerfully. She instructs us in faith. If I touch even his garments... I will be made well. Mark is helping us this morning. He further defines the nature of biblical faith for us. While faith is born out of a context of need, you have to be a needy person to practice faith, biblical faith always terminates on an object, Christ Jesus himself. Faith does not simply keep us in our misery and despondency, but it leads us to see and come to the one who is able to, and sufficiently competent to save us. And Mark, by bringing before us Jairus and this unnamed woman, instructs us and teaches us how are we to continually grow up in faith. We grow in faith by growing in our persuasion of Christ Jesus. We grow up in faith by growing in our persuasion of, of Christ's character, his might, his power, his mercy, his grace, his love. The woman came to Christ. The woman exercised faith because she heard of Christ. And it is the same with us. The same principle is true for us. If we're to be a people who keep coming to Christ, if we're to be a people who keep practicing faith in Christ, if we're to be a people who grow up in our faith in Christ, we must be a people who are continually reminded of Christ in the fullness of his character. 
The only way to maintain faith in this life is to keep Christ before us. Our faith will only blossom and grow the more we hear of Christ with our ears. The more his deeds are continually brought to our attention, the more of his good character is paraded before our eyes. The life of faith is continually nourished by growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to grow in faith, you need to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. That's how it works. But I do want to pause here and sound a word of caution. Many of us begin to run into, into trouble when we, when we ask, how can I know if I'm actually practicing biblical faith? How can I know if I'm like Jarius or this unnamed woman? We have to be clear how we can go about answering this question. We do not test our faith by performing a psychological exam. We do not test our faith by rummaging around in our subjective feelings. We do not test our faith by trying to, to measure the amount of confidence or the amount of persuasion that lies within our souls. We just need to turn back to our text. How do we know that Jarius, how do we know that this unnamed woman practiced faith? Well, we know their faith by what they did with Jesus. How do we know that Jairus practiced faith? Well, we see Jairus at the feet of Jesus, crying out to Jesus, come, come with me. You are the one that I need. How can we know that the unnamed woman practiced faith? Well, she had in her hands the garments of Jesus. She knew that if she touched this man, even his garment, she would be made well. And it is the same with us. How can we know if we practice biblical faith? We can know if we're in the faith by what we do with Jesus. We're not calling for psychological exams. We're not calling to search our subjective feelings. Biblical faith terminates upon Christ. We can know if we practice biblical faith if our hands are full of Jesus' garments. We know if we practice biblical faith if we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus crying out for mercy and grace and saying, come, come with me. You are the one that I need. We're not called to look down at our noses. We know if we practice biblical faith, if we have Christ before us. This brings us to our last aspect of faith, the power of faith. Jesus' words from John chapter 6 are, are beautifully illustrated in our text in the Gospel of Mark this morning. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. As we go to Mark chapter 5, there's Jairus. He has need. His, his daughter is at the point of death. And so Jairus comes to Jesus in faith. He comes begging. He comes saying, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. Jairus comes in faith. And what happens? Jesus receives him. And Jesus goes with him. And no one, no thing will prevent Jesus from bringing salvation to the household of Jairus. Even though Jesus hears the distressing reports, your daughter is dead, Jesus only replies in the face of death, do not fear, only believe. 
Even though the house is surrounded by wailing and the crying of mourners, Jesus presses on undeterred. He says, the child is not dead but sleeping. Even though Jesus is mocked by the professional mourners who have gathered outside this house, Jesus enters into the home to find the girl. He seeks her out. And even though this girl stopped breathing and the cords of death had wrapped her up, Jesus speaks a word of salvation. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Jairus came seeking Jesus, and Jesus delivered. He received Jairus, and Jesus' words are true. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And Mark is calling us, behold the power of faith that unites you to the Savior who is competent and able to save all who come. And so the woman with the flow of blood draws near in faith to Jesus. She comes. And the crowd is thronged about Jesus, pressing in upon him. But the woman is undaunted by the crowd, so she makes her way and approaches Jesus from the behind and grabs hold of his garment, and salvation comes to this woman. Verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That ailment that plagued her for 12 long years. That flow of blood that could not be cured by any treatment, any doctor would stop instantly with the touch of faith, just touching Jesus' garments. And in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the hustle and bustle, in the midst midst of Jesus' mission to bring salvation to the household of Jairus, Jesus stops in his tracks so that he can explain the extraordinary power of faith to this woman. He says this in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. As we think about this scene, Jesus traveling, the fact is that many touched Jesus that day as he was going about. The crowd was pressing in upon Jesus. Many hands had grazed Jesus' garments, but only one person in that crowd that we know of from the Gospel of Mark experienced salvation in that time. Only one first person found the peace of Jesus. It was the one who came to Jesus and laid hold of him by faith. And again, Jesus' words ring so true in this story. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. The unnamed woman came in faith, and Jesus received her and gave her life. So Mark is instructing us in this matter of faith. Those who come to Jesus acknowledging their needs, knowing the sufficiency of Jesus, will find their needs met always by the Savior. Those who come in faith to Jesus will always find an abundant salvation. And Mark places before us Jairus and this unnamed woman as powerful reminders of this truth. Mark's aim is that we would take these stories, that we'd take Jairus, that we'd take this unnamed woman, we'd take these stories and we'd lodge them down in our hearts, and that day by day we would reason from these stories to ourselves. Just as Jesus acted for these practitioners of faith, so too he will act for those who come to him in faith. Just as Jesus fully devoted himself to the cause of Jairus and Jairus' needs, so too Jesus devotes himself to all who believe. Just as Jesus rescued Jairus' daughter from the grasp of death, so too Jesus has pledged himself to rescue all those who believe upon him. 
Just as Jesus showed tender mercy and patience to this woman, just as Jesus took time to instruct her and give her peace, so too Jesus has promised to shower all of those who approach him in faith with love and grace and mercy and kindness. Mark wants us to rejoice this morning because Jesus has pledged himself to meet his people's needs. This is the power of faith. This is the faith that saves. And Jesus' words come freshly to us and they are true for us as well. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, though we stand with the disciples often storm-tossed, terrified by the wind and the sea. Though John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress often describes us of little faith, Mark calls us to take heart this morning in a Savior, a Savior who draws near to us in mercy and grace, a Savior who has devoted himself to a people of little faith. And Jesus encourages us and strengthens us this morning. He calls out to us this morning from the Gospel of Mark, from these two stories, and he preaches to our souls. He says this, have faith in God. We've been richly furnished with instruction and encouragement this morning from these two stories. And so now from these two stories, you have heard of the mercy and the kindness of Jesus Won't you you now once again respond in obedience to Jesus' demanding call? Repent and believe in the gospel. Won't you once again heed the radical call of faith that Jesus places upon all of his disciples? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Won't you again taste the saving reign of God in Christ Jesus? Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Won't you again be radically reoriented towards the power of God? All things are possible for the one who believes. Won't you hear Jesus' words and be encouraged? Have faith in God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do rejoice in the gospel of Christ Jesus. What a glorious and free gospel. Jesus bids us to come. He says, come. And all that is required of us is to feel our need of him. And so, Father, we come this morning. We have seen the power, the might, the sufficiency, the mercy, the grace, the kindness, the love of Jesus, and we come. Father, we ask, fill our hearts with hope now. Fill our hearts with encouragement. Would Jesus' words pick us up and carry us now? Do not fear, only believe. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.